Welcome to Hospitality Forward, a podcast where hospitality and travel professionals learn how to earn the media spotlight. My name is Hana Lee. I am president of Hana Lee Communications, an award-winning public relations agency in New York City. And I'm Michael Anstendig, editor-in-chief at Hana Lee Communications and a food and beverage writer. As a journalist myself and Hannah as a PR professional, we understand the power of media coverage and its impact on someone's career and business. That's why we launched our podcast to help our industry rebuild and rebound by interviewing top journalists who share their insights and tips for gaining the media's attention. In this episode, we're delighted to chat with Elise Taylor of Vogue. Elise is Vogue's living writer and covers travel, food, design, and society. In addition to international destinations, Elise has traveled to nearly every state in the U.S. Previously, she worked and wrote for Vanity Fair. Hi, Elise. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Hannah and Michael. I'm very excited to be here today talking to all your listeners across the world. Can you tell us a little bit about Vogue and its current coverage? Yeah, so I think it's been quite the time to be a lifestyle writer, right? Which is, you know, the world shuts down and all of a sudden all your beats, travel, restaurants, uh, food ha have kind of shut down with it. So it's been a really fascinating pivot. And I, I, I say pivot, but then I realized that I've been pivoting for a year. So I don't know if that counts as a pivot anymore or if that's just, you know, my new normal of, you know, covering this industry that I know and I love uh, in such a different way, uh, whether it is reporting on, you know, some of the darker sides, which is, you know, staying afloat during the pandemic, um, some of the silver lining sides, which is innovations that these restaurants or hotels have come up with. Um, and then also excitement as the world comes back to normal and, and these uh, properties do too. In terms of your pivot, how did you, you know, from a practical standpoint, change your working style to perhaps go more virtual? Or what was your means of, you know, continuing your work and continuing your superb coverage? You know, it was a challenge. I, I won't lie. I think it was a challenge for everyone. You know, part of my job is uh, go sees, right? Where I physically go to a restaurant and I try their food and I see the space or I physically stay at a hotel. And all of a sudden, I couldn't do those things, right? Um, so that was really hard of being, okay, uh, how do I write about something that I haven't physically experienced? And how do I make sure that I'm staying true to my number one priority, which is our readers? Um, so that was a lot of innovation. You know, instead of going to see a hotel, I would have to do walkthroughs on FaceTime um, instead of, you know, maybe eating at a restaurant or, or going to see it, I would have to have the food sent to me. Um, or, you know, I could go through for, a, a, you know, a walkthrough, but it was me in a mask six feet apart. You know, some of these spaces were not occupying at their full glory, to say the least, which is, you know, 25%, 50% occupancy. So also just a little bit of imagination of saying, okay, this is what this space is like at 25% occupancy. What is going to look like at 100%? And kind of trying to envision that. So it has been a challenge, um, but I've also gotten some really interesting stories out of it, which is, you know, reporting on this industry during the pandemic 
there's a lot of good stories to be told, and there's a lot of interesting stories to be told. Well, thanks so much for being such an important voice for our industry because we need it more than ever. So let's talk about you more. So you've been a lifestyle writer at Vogue since I believe 2017. Yes. So. Was it always your dream to work at Vogue? You know, it's funny. It wasn't. Uh, it was always my dream to be a writer. That's a dream I've had ever since I was a little girl. Um, so I have kind of worked my entire life to be a writer. And it just so happened that the outlet that needed my voice and that was the right fit for my voice was Vogue. And I say that a lot to, you know, I got a lot of uh, aspiring journalists or, or young people you say, I want to work at Vogue. I have to work at Vogue. Uh, you know, how do I do it? How did you do it? And I, the advice I always tell them is that if your end goal is just to simply work at Vogue, that's not the way to go about it. Because Vogue has so many departments. It has features, which I'm in, which is writing. We have the fashion department. We have a PR department. We have a special events department. We have photography department. We have a, you know, visuals department. And those people get hired for those jobs, not because they broadly want to work at Vogue, but because they have the skill set for those jobs. So I always say, okay, you want to work at Vogue. Well, what would you want to do at Vogue? And you pick that and you work at mastering that skill. Because if you just, I hate to say it, if you just love fashion, it's it's too broad. And, and just like any profession, you know, Vogue needs to hire people who fit a skill set. So I always say, develop your skill set, figure out what you want to do, and then the opportunity at Vogue will come. So I worked at Vanity Fair for three years before I worked at Vogue as an editorial assistant. And that's the, you know, Devil Wears Prada job where you're getting coffees, you're making photocopies, you're making reservations, you're doing all this glamorous stuff. But it was also an apprenticeship, right, where I got to work mm -hmm. with the top editor. Right. And... I became, you know, a professional writer in that position. And then I was able to apply for the staff writing job at Vogue. And, you know, that was that job. I had to present writing samples and do an edit test. And that's how I got hired. Interesting. So what's what, what's your secret for finding great stories? And do you have any places that you go for a specific inspiration? There's many places I go. Uh, I use Instagram a lot. I'm constantly on Instagram and I'm not on Instagram in the way you think, which is that I'm not looking at like my for you page and seeing like, oh, you know, what's trendy restaurants I see on your for you page? Because I don't think Instagram is reality as we know, right? I don't think just because a restaurant has a bubblegum pink interior that it means it's good or it means it's worthy. And sometimes Instagram focuses on the very surface level of uh, a good property. But what I do look at is I say, okay, where are the tastemakers in New York going? What am I seeing on Instagram? Where are people going? Where are people having fun? Should I know about these people? Then I also rely on PR people like you um, who are emailing saying, hey, I have a new client. Uh, they're opening a hotel in six months. And so I start tracking those projects really, really early. And I'm asking for renderings. I'm asking for updates and following the projects. So I can say, mm, maybe this is a Vogue story. I also read a lot. So I'm seeing, you know, what else is out on the internet? 
And the other thing is that I just listen. And I think that it's so important. I will hang out with, you know, the top interior designers, right? And I'll be saying, hey, tell me about any artisans that are new that you're working with that you love. Um, and I'm hearing what they say. So I, I, I think the part of my job is really talking to tastemakers who are out there in each space and listening to them saying, what are you seeing out there? And those, those have led to some of my best stories. Uh, you mentioned Instagram, um, how you're using th that platform for your work. Is there any other social media platform that you think our audience, who's bartenders and chefs and hotel owners, should be using more? You know, I think try to use all of them. Uh, and I don't want to, you know, I, I have to say the only social media platform that I'm not using and this is just because I'm a writer and it has definite value is LinkedIn. That's because, you know, LinkedIn isn't, you know, it's more of a business platform rather than a creative platform. But um, for example, I got a story idea off of Clubhouse. I had uh, joined a room and it was talking about new social media apps and, and what all the kids were using. Uh, and they brought up Dispo, which is a new social media app. And I said, hey, that, that actually looks really cool. Uh, so I downloaded it myself and I said, yeah, I think this is really cool. So that goes back to my point about just listening to what's buzzing and being just tuned in with the cultural zeitgeist and saying, what are people talking about? What are people are excited about? In addition to then also actually like looking at myself being like, oh, and I'm excited about this and people should know. That makes sense. So what do you think of the future of Clubhouse as a journalist, as a resource for your story? Yeah, so Clubhouse is interesting to me because I do think it was a social media app that got purpose from the pandemic. We couldn't be in the same room. We were, you know, captive audiences and we wanted to connect with other people. So my question is, you know, how will Clubhouse evolve uh, now that the world's starting to open up? I see it as a great place for live events, which is that let's say there's a conference happening in Los Angeles and there's a really cool fashion designer or interior designer uh, that's speaking at it. I'm in New York and I can't get to LA, but I want to tune in somehow. Clubhouse to me is the perfect media for that. So you have your conversations, right? Where anyone can tune in from around the world. And that's the beauty of it is that you can participate no matter where you are. Absolutely. We, we definitely see a future that's kind of a hybrid of mm -hmm. both live events, which we all miss and which we all love, but also these new technologies like Zoom and Clubhouse that let you be there without being there physically. Yeah. So speaking of social media, uh, you tweeted about your sister starting her own vodka brand, Heriden. I did. I did. Well, we totally understand how hard it's been for small business owners yes. uh, during COVID. So does having your sister in this space give you a new perspective, perhaps, on small businesses and startups? Absolutely. It's been really eye-opening for me, the launching a business in a pandemic, just how hard it's been. You know, her main customers, which are going to be bars, right, are closed. And, you know, restaurants are open, but they're, you know, in a, restaurants are in a very, very tight spot right now. You know, they aren't at full capacity. Um, so taking a risk on a product. Um, many restaurants don't want to do that. So it was kind of like, okay, how do I get people to take a risk on me? And she was out there every single day physically 
going to liquor stores and giving out samples, uh, physically dropping off bottles at restaurants. And yeah, she's she's in some great places already. She just got into Budokan. She's excited. But as a journalist, it, it was really interesting because it was eye-opening in many ways. One of them being how press can make or break a small business. I don't want to say break, but how much it means uh, when you start getting buzz. She was asking me advice about how to get into press. And I said, you need a PR person. She goes, I don't have a budget for that. I was like, well, you need a budget for that. And she's like, well, I don't have a budget for that. So it kind of gave me, you know, there's so many great small brands out there that just haven't quite got the budget yet to make that jump to PR. Saying like, oh, okay, wow. There's things you may be missing just because they're not in your inbox. Um, and it also gave me appreciation for, you know, PR agencies because I was like, wow, they're very helpful. And you definitely, <laughs> a brand needs them because that's how you break through the noise. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one. And then also just, um, I think that as a journalist, uh, many times people are willing to send you things to try. Uh, and that is great. And it's something that I take very seriously where I actually never request a product unless I'm actually very seriously considering it for coverage. And it made me more aware of how important that is for journalists. Because when you're a small business and you're gifting something, if a journalist is just taking it because they feel like it, a small business doesn't have the expendable inventory to just lift two things. Um, so the importance of, and this is something I do where I usually, you know, I don't really accept gifts. I accept samples for potential coverage and how important it is for journalists to actually stick to that ethical rule. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, each bottle represents the love and care and hard work. It's blood, sweat, and tears. Exactly. So we, just like you, we take every bottle very seriously. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, pitching. Our listeners are hospitality and travel professionals like, you know, hotel owners, restaurants, and bar owners, and along with bartenders and chefs, but also small, you know, brand owners like your sister. And actually, the reason that we decided to start our podcast is because we wanted to give these small business owners or those professional folks don't have a PR agency, but they learn how to pitch the story by listening to someone like you on our podcast. Do-it-yourself PR. Exactly. So let's, you know, if you can help our listeners, how they can tell their story, but what's the top three important things that they should keep in mind when pitching you? Something that is so important is that remember, it's my job to tell a story. So when you pitch me, I need to see a story. So the overarching question is always why? You have a really cool restaurant. It's really cool. That's great. Why is it cool? Why should I be writing about it now? What makes it different? What makes it relevant? Uh, and I see that a lot with properties uh, that I've maybe been around for a while, which is I get emails being like, we want you to write about this restaurant that's been in business for five years. And it's not doing anything different. 
than I did five years ago. But we just wanted to get press and vote. I'm like, why would I write about this now? And it same goes for any sort of product. Maybe you have a canned cocktail. You were emailing me in November about your canned cocktail that has been around for three years and say, I want you to write about it. I'm like, why would I be writing about canned cocktails in November? Is there a holiday cocktail that you're working on that I missed? Are you doing something innovative? Have you made a change recently? And that doesn't happen a lot. Whereas if I had that canned cocktail that was emailing me maybe in March and says, hey, we have new flavors for summer. Uh, are you working on any you know, canned cocktails roundups? Those are pitches I actually read and consider or keep in the back of my head. There's a lot of pitches that don't do that. So I think it is a matter of timeliness, narrative of what is your story, and then why should I tell it? Excellent advice. Mm -hmm. So looking into your crystal ball, if you may, uh, for the rest of the year, what type of stories do you think you're going to be working on that our listeners can be part of? Oh, this is exciting. Uh, right now at Vogue, we're focusing on reemergence in the Roaring Twenties, which is a fun beat. So I am looking for new things. I'm looking for fun things. I'm looking for new restaurants, new hotels, or off-the-radar travel destinations. Where are people going to go when they get vaccinated? Uh, what are people going to drink when we can party again? Uh, what are people going to eat when we can have a birthday dinner of 10 people? So everything fun. Love it. That's a great beat. So with, with all these things reemerging, with all these reopenings, do you see Vogue expanding its coverage of hospitality and travel? Absolutely. I'm going to be busier than ever. You know, internal discussions within Vogue are, wow, people are going to be traveling a lot this summer. So we have to be prepared. So right now, you know, we're calling like, you know, the vaccination boom, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So we're preparing for the vaccination boom where I'm like, where are people going? Uh, what borders are going to be open? So that is definitely going to expand. And then coverage on restaurants. We've sadly had a lot of restaurants closing or sheltering, you know, during the winter. Uh, now we're going to have a season of openings. Yes. yes. We feel like our industry is slowly but surely coming back. I'm excited for a lot of different things that are coming. And I think our readers will be excited because after a year of staying in, all we want to do is go out. Go out. Go out and have fun and just just mingle with the people that you love and, and people that you want to spend time with. So actually, circling back to travel just for a quick second, once restrictions are lifted, what's the first travel destination you're going to go to and why? I'm going to start with, for Vogue, I'll talk about it for Vogue first, which is that um, I'm going to start with local travel. And I'm going to be doing local uh, new hotel openings. So I think, you know, like you said, baby steps, which is people are going to be like, okay, where can I go if it's a little close to home? Or maybe my vaccine hasn't hit in yet. Or Maybe this border hasn't opened or the country's, you know, Europe uh, is, is so in flux right now with border restrictions and lockdown. So there's several properties in upstate New York that I, I'm focusing on, as well as um, some new openings in the Hamptons. Um, but then later in the summer, I'm going to start to switch my focus to Europe. Yes, mm. let's go to Europe. I think that everyone kind of like, you know, you guys, like we all kind of want a little bit of a Euro trip right now, right? Absolutely. Yes, please. Mm -hmm. So I'm in, uh, hopefully going to Montenegro, 
which I think is going to be a new hot European country uh, that's going to be the next Croatia. And then, you know, look, I'm still in my 20s. I want to go to Mykonos. I want to go to the beach club. I want to drink rosé. I want to drink rosé while vaccinated. So um, we call our podcast Hospitality Forward because we believe that our industry will come back stronger than ever. So can you tell us, in your opinion, if there's anyone or any organization that you think doing amazing work in our hospitality industry that moving hospitality forward? Yeah. And thinking about that question, there's almost too many people to name because the innovation I've seen from restaurants during this pandemic is astounding. Incredible. The fact that so many New York restaurants not only survived this winter, but thrived in this winter. You know, I thought what was going to happen to New York in the winter and I was worried for it. And then all of a sudden, you know, I see Lafayette has built a winter village and these beautiful glass huts and people preferring to sit outside rather than inside. That takes such a level of creativity um, that is almost unfathomable. And you saw so many other restaurants do similar things. Absolutely. I think that's the silver lining of our industry, being very creative. Very creative. And, and now for the listener question segment of our show, we have a question from Megan Klein, the founder of Little Saints in Michigan, which sells a fashionable cocktail mask with a hidden hole for sipping cocktails. She'd like to know what your criteria are for covering new products and spotlighting entrepreneurs. You know, I tr we try at Vogue uh, to highlight local businesses. We really do. Recently, we just launched a small business guide uh, where we highlight our favorite small businesses across America. Uh, so the requirement is that we had to have entries from every single state. Um, so for small businesses, there's a couple of things. One is that getting a local cult following from where you are, because your local customers are going to be your most passionate customers. Um, and if you have a passionate group of customers, eventually big national publications will hear about it. Sometimes I get pitches uh, that are saying like, we're a very, very small company out of, um, I'm just going to say Michigan. Uh, there's very small inventory. They maybe don't have nationwide shipping yet. Uh, so I'm kind of like, are you ready to be in Vogue? Because Vogue is a national publication read by millions, millions, millions of people. So is now the right time to feature you? Whereas if you gather, if you start with your community and you work very, very hard within that community and build that strength, then it gets to me in a different way, which is this has passionate fans. They love it. They will vouch for it and more people need to know. Um, a perfect example is I, I featured um, a Virginia canned cocktail. And the reason I did is because I had a fan from Virginia reach out. So this is the best thing cocktail I've ever had. And it is amazing. And I was like, wow, that's so like, I didn't know about this canned cocktail. And then I went to their Instagram page and I saw they had like really intense fans. And then I did some Googling on them and I found that they just had like really, really like lovely local news. Uh, 
coverage about them, about how much the community liked them. Uh, and then I had a friend who was Virginia, and I, a coworker from Virginia. I slacked her. And I said, do you know about this canned cocktail company? And she was like, oh my goodness, these are the best canned cocktails. Every time I go home, like I buy a case and I bring it back to New York. And so that is a small business that I feature in the book, but I featured it not because necessarily I had an owner send me a DM and say, I made these canned cocktails, but because they were community first and they had those fans. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. That had a fan base. And I was like, wow, people really love this. Um, and, and then you know it's real. And then you know it's real. So before we go, what's the best way for our listeners to contact you when they have a story to tell you? Oh, yes. Yeah. So definitely email, which is Elise underscore Taylor at condynast.com. Uh, a lot of people do DM me on Instagram. Uh, that is a very hard way to manage messages. It is not meant <laughs> you manage that many messages please email me please do not email me i will forget about you and i'm sorry all right well at least it's been so great talking to you we thank you so much for your time all right well thank you for having me it was wonderful chatting with you and i hope to be back soon yes absolutely thanks again all right thank bye 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 compassionate thoughtful and curious these words nicely sum up Elise. Now that you know what Elise is looking for, please feel free to pitch her your story ideas. And of course, mention that you heard her on our podcast. We have a lot of exciting media guests in the pipeline as well. So please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Please leave a review and tell your friends and colleagues. See you next week. Until then, join us as we move hospitality forward together.